Welcome to the Agora Network Ministries podcast, Hope for the Agora, a conversation about mental health and the church. Listen in as our host, Evan Roars Dodge, shares practical, educational, and insightful information about the mental health conversation and the stigma inside the walls of the church. Our hope is that through informative interviews with leading mental health professionals and people in the field, and through the stories of healing and transformation, you will find that hope and healing can be found in body, soul, and spirit. To learn more, go to agoranetworkministries.com and follow us on social media. Thank you for joining us. Welcome to another episode of Hope for the Agora. I'm your host, Dr. Evan Dodge, and I am excited today to be talking to Sam Eaton. Sam, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. And Sam and I have been talking, I think maybe you're my second or third uh, U.S. you know, stateside uh, interviewee. So, um, so we're, we're, uh, we're crossing the border and uh, staying on this side uh, uh, for our conversation today. So Sam, would you introduce yourself to our listeners? Hi, everybody. My name is Sam Eaton. I'm an author, speaker, and founder of Recklessly Alive. We're a suicide prevention ministry sprinting towards a world with zero deaths by suicide. Uh, Suicidal thoughts and depression are something that I've struggled with for the last 20 years. Um, Not that I ever talked about publicly or openly, um, but I was a teacher for 12 years. I taught music in the public schools, and we had four deaths by suicide in one school year. We had two students, a teacher, and a principal. And I just knew that I had to do something. It was like that God push in my heart. Like each one was just like, how is nobody doing anything? I have to do something to help. And so it's just been a slow process of just finding little ways um, over the last seven years to help people feel seen and heard, to connect them with hope and resources, um, and to really get people talking about suicide, especially the church learning that it's okay to talk about um, and that many, many people struggle with mental health and that we're here for them. Sam, take us through, you know, your story. Um, You just, you just indicated that suicide and suicidal thoughts had been something that you've been facing um, for some time in your life. And, and uh, so what was that like for you and how did, um, how did you come out the other side of that into, into the ministry that you're leading today? I grew up with an alcoholic father. And as a result of that disease, he just caused a lot of pain in our lives. When I would come home from school, I never really knew if it was going to be like a laughy, jokey kind of a drunk day or like a chair throwing day. And so I grew up very afraid of the world and trying to just be a peacekeeper. If I just do the dishes and the laundry, I can keep everybody happy. Um, and, but we were really struggling. We had cars repossessed. Um, it was a struggle of a childhood, but I kept it together. Like even on the outside, my teachers didn't know I had straight A's. I was on the basketball team. Um, my dad left when I was 12. I haven't really seen him since he had burned through most of my mom's money. Um, and I still was doing fine. But when I hit high school, things really fell apart for the first time in my life. I couldn't concentrate or focus. I started writing on my papers. I hate my life. I hate my life over and over again. Uh, my grades tanked. I started isolating in video games and pulling away from sports and things that I loved. 
And what nobody told me what I was experiencing has a name and that it's called depression, that there was a diagnosis for what I was experiencing, but it just turned all the shame and hate, self-hate for me. And I, I was a Christian at this point. We went to the Episcopal church quite often, um, but I was a bit of a mess and didn't, A, nobody stood up in front of me and told me what depression or suicidal thoughts were. And definitely you only heard about it talked about as like crazy people that we like ship away. So, and then you add being a guide to it. It's a whole nother layer of not feeling like I could open up. Um, I went off to college to be a music teacher. It was my music teachers that had changed my life. And that's what I wanted to do is be that for other kids. Um, but my problems really, they just followed me. I mean, um, following college, I had a ton of student loan debt. I had broken up with this girl that I was in love with. I moved back home uh, to save money. And I was back living in this house where all this trauma had happened that I hadn't really dealt with. And so finally, I gave myself a dangerous ultimatum. I said, on Christmas Day, I'm either going to take my life or never think about this again. Um, at that point, it had been 10 years of battling this. And I just could not live in that much pain for another 50 years. And, you know, I hear all the time people say things like, oh, suicide's so selfish. It's the most selfish thing you could ever do. And what I always say to them is, if you could feel the amount of pain that it was to live in my brain and my body in that time, I guarantee you wouldn't say it was selfish. You'd say that you get it, that you understand that that most people who are experiences like me, they want a way out. Maybe they don't necessarily want to go through the painful act of dying, but they feel trapped and they feel like there's no hope and there's no way forward. And by the way, their brain is sick. So like things that used to feel fun, don't feel fun. They don't want to be around people and, and they, they resist the things that, that might actually help them. And that's exactly where I was. I just didn't have any education. I'd never been to therapy. Finally, when that day came, I was actually counting backwards in the mirror from 10 and somewhere about three, this question broke through. It wasn't like an audible voice, but it was just this overwhelming feeling of, have you really given life everything you've got? That was the message. And if you have Sam, it's okay. You can give up. This can be the end, but I'm not sure that you have. I think maybe there's more things you could try to get help, more things you could try to build the life that you want to build. Um, and so I, in this bravest moment of my whole life, I decided to stay. I decided to stay that day. I made it through the day. And then I was going to keep my promise that I, I was going to stay and I was going to keep fighting for this. It's been a long battle. I wish I could say that God just instantly healed me and life was good. And it's been perfect since. And that, that hasn't been the case. It's been a long battle. Um, but even after I attempted, I didn't tell anyone. I didn't, I really, I kept it a secret, even from my family. It wasn't until I started seeing and learning about just what an epidemic it is in our world. 2022, we just had the most suicides in the U.S. than we've ever had. The numbers just continue to go up. Um, and I just, it was that God push that was like, okay, I have to do something. And it's been scary and it's been hard and I've lost people and I've been ostracized by churches. Um, but every day I wake up and I just try to help one more person stay the way that I chose to stay. Oh, Sam, thank you for sharing that. Well, you just mentioned a statistic, you know, the, the increase in suicide rates over the last couple of years. In, in, in your mind, in, in your work, in your ministry, can you point to a reason or reasons for that increase? Yeah, it's hard to pinpoint. You know, I read a lot of research and experts and you know, there isn't one factor for sure. I think we are more isolated than we've ever been. 
the suicide rate actually went down a bit during COVID, which most, most people don't understand and we didn't expect. But I think there was like a camaraderie, even in myself, like we were checking on people, we were reaching out to people, I, we were checking on our neighbors. That level of care and concern for other people, um, I think is is a lot more rare. I also think we don't have as many places for community as we used to. Um, I feel like we don't have as many options for community anymore with social media. We're so focused on ourselves and other people's lives. Um, and I, I think that for the first time, we're starting to talk about this, you know, I think for better or worse, it's out there now, but um, our what's available to get people help is way, way, way behind the number of therapists, the number of care hospitals aren't really equipped to deal with this. And so we're really playing catch up in how we get people help. Yeah. What, um, so for, for folks who are struggling with mental wellness, with suicidal ideation, um, maybe reflecting on your own experience and pulling from your ministry, what, what do those folks need? What kind of support do they, um, do they need to, to make it through that? So the last five years, I have traveled all over the country speaking about suicide. So I've spoken to thousands of suicidal people who felt that. And almost every single one of them will tell you the best gift you can give them is just to listen, to empathize, and to affirm. You don't have to fix them. You don't have to. In fact, don't try. Don't jump to the cliches, especially in the Christian world. Like We just want to be like, you're okay. People have it worse, or it's not that bad. And we just minimize what they're feeling and truly what they need. And, and what I need is someone just to listen, to be in it with me, to tell me I'm not going anywhere. This doesn't scare me. You know, God is bigger than this. Um, those sorts of ways that we are just with people in their pain. We've kind of become this world where we're like positive vibes only, right? Like we only want people around us who are happy and perfect all the time. And we're guilty of this in the church too. It's like, we got to proclaim the joy of Christ at all times. But that doesn't leave room for someone to be real and be who they are. And so first and foremost, it's just to listen. Two, it's to make this an okay topic to talk about with the people in your communities. You know, when something happens, maybe that's a celebrity in the news or it comes up in a TV show or a movie. It's like, be brave enough to talk about that with the people in your life and use that as a conversation starter. Even if they're, even if they're not feeling that way right now, now you're a person who they know if they ever feel that way that they can open up to. There's really two types of suicide prevention. There's indirect and direct. Indirect is just being a kind person. It's including your neighbors. It's inviting someone to come hang out with your friends. It's mowing the old neighbor's lawn, like just being with people, inviting them in. You don't have to be their best friend, but supporting and loving people the way that Jesus loved us is like number one. It's step one. And then there are direct things you can do. You can host events. You can host book studies. You can post things about suicide or volunteer for a suicide organization. Not everybody has the time or resources resources for that, but we all have the ability to look out for the people in our lives, to check in on them and just listen and be in their pain with them the way that Jesus was in in the pain with so many people around him. Yeah, Sam, you mentioned something that made me just recount uh, experiences I have again and again as a, as a church pastor, somebody will come to me and they'll share something that's going on in their life, right? Maybe it's sickness, maybe it's 
you know, child dealing with a relationship issue. And they often um, will qualify that by saying something like, I know other people have it so much more difficult than I do. Or, you know, oh, I, I, you know, so-and-so is going through such and such a thing. I feel guilty for, you know, feeling this way or complaining. And, and, and you know, I try to engage that tenderly and sensitively, but, but I always want to communicate that, listen, your pain is your pain. You don't need to minimize it. You know, and, and I try to, in my response and, in, you know, body language and in everything that I bring to an encounter to, to not minimize that for them, right? Because, you know, uh, what, whatever you're dealing with is what you're dealing with. Absolutely. And, yeah. And, and I think that if we can cr- create relationships and communities that embraces it, it doesn't try to fix it for people, but just listens and just sits with them in it and doesn't minimize it, then then we will be giving a gift to that person. Absolutely. It's a giant step forward, right? And to the people who are listening to this and maybe they're feeling suicidal or they're having struggles, like nobody knows what it feels like to be in your brain and your body, right? Like nobody knows the yeah. amount of pain that that heartbreak has caused you. And nobody gets to quantify that for you. You get to share how you experience the world. Unfortunately, nobody makes it through this life without experiencing pain. It's just part of it. You're going to lose someone you love. That's like people pass away. Things are going to happen. And it's finding ways that we can all just open up about that pain, be vulnerable mm-hmm. about what we're going through and just, yes, accepting that it's okay to struggle and that that we will get through it sam one of my least favorite expressions that i hear a lot (laughs) as as a pastor and just in other contexts is when someone says to someone else oh i know exactly how you feel (laughs) so no you don't you know you you, two people may be may have lost a spouse right um but that journey is so different and and that tends to minimize the other person, right? You, you're putting the focus on yourself. I know how you feel. And often then that launches into this person, you know, kind of making it all about them, sharing their story. And, and, and I, I so often want to be, you know, that, that, is, that is often well-meaning, but so unhelpful. Absolutely. Same with my, one of mine is God will never give you more than you can handle. Oh yeah, that's <laughs> awful. That's awful too. <laughs> Some people think that's in the Bible. That's not I, in the Bible. I understand the idea, right? Like God's going to be with you in that, but absolutely God's going to give you more than you can handle. It's just it's just a matter of time. Yeah, yeah. And and I think the implication in that statement, right, is that God is, you know, the author of tragedy or painful circumstances or or things that are kind of designed to the, uh, you know, test you in some way and uh you know, I, that's a, that's a bit of a different view of God than I hold. And that I think is reflected in scripture and in the, you know, the teachings of the church. So Sam, what, um, uh, share about your ministry. You mentioned it briefly at the beginning, you talked about your ministry and that you're traveling and, uh, uh ministering to folks and, and talking about suicide. So remind us what the name of your ministry is and what your ministry does. We're called Recklessly Alive. We primarily focus on equipping and empowering communities to have real conversations about depression and suicide. We primarily do that through social media, uh, through live events, typically speaking events or church services. And then we also put out things. I wrote my first book. It actually hit the top 200 best-selling books on all of Amazon. It's called Recklessly Alive, What My Suicide Attempt Taught Me About God and Living Life to the Fullest. 
Took me seven years to write and get published. I had many Christian publishers tell me nobody wants to read a book about suicide. And they were just so wrong. Like it was outselling Max Lucado. It's done more than I ever thought. Just this quiet boy from Minnesota's story about getting through suicide and how God was a part of that um, really has gone all over the world. And it's cool to see what, what he has done through that. Uh, but we really have had to trailblaze finding ways to get people to talk about this topic. It's, you know, especially when we first started, we had churches that wouldn't allow us to pay them to host a suicide prevention event in their church. They're like, absolutely not. We don't want that here. Um, and so we've had to get really creative about ways that we can talk about this because the research shows talking about suicide doesn't make it any more likely that someone will attempt and makes it much more likely that they'll seek help. And this this can start in little and big ways, but we just want to start the conversation and normalize the conversation and then pass it off to the resources and the churches and the community. We, we happen to believe the church is one of the best places for suicide prevention. Following my attempt, I threw myself into church. I was volunteering three, four, five days a week, and it really supported my comeback. It supported my mental health. It gave me a place to belong. And so I think the church truly could be a forefront leader in mental health and suicide prevention, but we have to get past this idea that it's a spiritual problem that we can't talk about that. Um, and so we still have a lot, a lot of work to do in changing that that stereotype. Thank you, Sam. Well, we're going to take a short break here on the Hope for the Agora. And I'll be back in just a moment with my guest, Sam Eaton. Agora Network is once again proud to present the Perseverance Conference for 2023. It'll be Saturday, September 23rd from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. The focus this year is understanding suicide. As a result of COVID-19, more Canadians have suffered with a greater loss of their mental health. With the loss of jobs, income, and an uncertain future, many, even people of faith, are anxious, depressed, and not sure how to go on. The Suicide Perseverance Conference will provide you with an awareness of identifying those who may be at risk of suicide and how to effectively engage them. Join us at West Highland Church in Hamilton, Ontario, Saturday, September 23rd from 9 till 3 in the afternoon. For more information and to register, be sure to go to agoranetworkministries.com and register there. Now, back to the podcast. Sam, in your work with faith communities, with churches, with individual Christians, what would you offer as some best practices for, uh, from a faith perspective for dealing with and ministering to uh, those with suicidal ideation? First and foremost is just be willing to mention it. It can be in very simple ways. Maybe that's just prayers of the people. Maybe that's passing comments in a sermon. You're listing out things people struggle with, divorce, losing a loved one, suicide. Just making that word mental health and suicide okay in your church is such a huge first step. If you want to take that a step further, there's support groups you can host. Um, there's great organizations like NAMI. 
even Agora connect with other mental health resources um, on ways to get started having a plan as a church, you know, including this in your strategic plan, how you can use that in your outreach. I, I, I really believe that as churches, we're called to serve the people around us. Um, and I think suicide and mental health is a really huge opportunity for us to care um, for our communities. And then, of course, just investing in people and in youth, right? Like making sure that the people in your community that God has trusted to your church, that they are cared for. The church is not known as a place. It's It typically seems to be more known as like a popular club or like, you know, a country club instead of a place where anyone can walk through. And it's it's focusing on those those aspects as well, making it okay to talk about but then truly making your church a community that that loves and supports all people who have struggles, but especially suicide. One of my favorite um, uh, images, I think, or metaphors for for pastor and pastor ministry is uh, model. Okay, and I don't just mean good looking. <laughs> I mean, you know, I I think by talking about something like suicide or mental wellness in a very open, appropriately vulnerable and authentic way in public models for the congregation in that particular context, um, that it's okay to talk about it. It destigmatizes it. And um, then, you know, God willing kind of opens a door of trust and relationship for someone to say, hey, you know, pastor's talking about it from the pulpit or in a church newsletter or in prayer, then, then maybe it's okay if I go to this person or to that person and share what I'm struggling with. That is, that is just so important, I think, for, for a lot of that work to start with the leadership, because I think then that starts to set the tone and shift to culture from stigmatization toward, uh, you know, openness and conversation. Absolutely. And vulnerability is contagious. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I, me sharing my story has given someone else permission and courage to share what they've been through. And it might not be suicidal thoughts, or, but when we are brave enough to share our own struggles and we stop this church culture of we got to show up in a perfect shirt, perfect shirt with a perfect smile on our faces. And we allow ourselves to be seen for what we really are and what we've experienced. It helps. It's helps start that healing process for so many, but especially people like me who have deep seated shame about our own brains and our own mental health. Um, it's contagious. So even if you don't have a story around suicide, sharing stories of your own struggles and normalizing the conversation is a perfect place to just start that in your church. It doesn't have to be a huge event at the beginning. Um, it yeah. can just be simple things like that. Sam, to end our conversation um, today, we were talking about the church and best practices. Let's let's do, let's come back to you know the person of Jesus, right? And, and faith in Christ. What does that mean uh, for for dealing with? something like like suicide what is that what is your faith meant for you in your story and what could that mean to others the first thing is we as a church tend to over spiritualize mental health and suicidal thoughts at least that was my experience 
you know, battling this, it's really three fronts. There's like a physical side of it, what's happening in my body, a chemical imbalance in my brain. There's a mental side of it, like the trauma, like therapy, like what I've been through, relationships sort of thing. And there absolutely is a spiritual component to this, knowing that I was made on purpose for a purpose, knowing that God said he knew me before I was in the womb, that I wasn't an accident, that he has good plans for my life that he is for me, not against me. All of these things in the Bible can really help and did help change my mental health. Was it perfect? Absolutely not. Are there things in the Bible that are confusing? Absolutely. And when I go back and read the Bible, it is a, there are stories of struggle. There are so many instances of people talking about depression and suicidal thoughts. Now, they might not say those words. They might not have had those terms then. But so many figures in the Bible, in Psalms, in Job, talk about, I don't think I want to be alive anymore. I don't want to be here. God, please take my life. This is a human experience. When I started finding those, I realized this sort of thing, suicidal thoughts, they've been around for thousands of years. They're not new to God. We just have a new word to describe it. But my story of feeling that way is also reflected back in this old, beautiful book um, that, that can provide hope and encouragement and these feelings of understanding that I'm not alone in all this and all these lies in my brain there are good things in the Bible that can help combat that and help me find a grounding and a, root, a rootedness in something other than what this world says of popularity and money and appearances. Like all of that led me to a place where I don't want to be alive. But when I looked at God's word and he says that he looks at people's heart and he looks at the, the acts of love that they're doing for other people, that's what's honoring to him. My whole brain started to shift shift, not perfectly, but it started to shift to see the world in a different way that I wasn't worthless, that I actually have a lot to offer the world and people around me and that every single person does and that God knows us all by name. Sam, how can folks connect to your ministry or connect with you? Um, what are, what, what's your, I guess, what's your online footprint? So our website is recklesslyalive.com. We would love to, you can request me to speak there. We would love to partner with your church and get this conversation started. You can visit me on Instagram and TikTok at Recklessly Alive. I post daily content, encouraging and educational content about mental health. So if you're listening to this, you're like, I don't even know where to start. Just following our social media can help open your eyes to different things that people experience. And then my first book was called Recklessly Alive by Sam Eaton. It's available on Amazon. Thanks, Sam. And for our listeners, we will include these links in the show notes for you so that you can find them there and easily access them. Well, Sam, I've greatly enjoyed this conversation. Thank you for your your honesty, your transparency, and your words of, of hope and the ministry that you have. Blessings. Thanks so much for having us. Thank you for joining us today. We hope that you found it helpful and informative. We are always open to your comments and suggestions. You can contact us at info at agoranetworkministries.com. You can also go to our website for resources, information, and upcoming events. Just head over to agoranetworkministries.com. If you would like to support the work of Agora Network Ministries, including this podcast, you can find a link on our site. We appreciate your support. We pray that your week is blessed. Bye for now.